This month, Brick Moon Fiction is going pure fantasy. We'll be bringing you four stories all set in the world of familiars, the creatures that act as sidekicks to the more popular inhabitants of the world of the fantastic, typically wizards and witches. Brick Moon Fiction presents Familial Duties by Jason D. April Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle Gods be damned in these wretched paws. A vague shadow against the dimly lit stone corridor's floor, Mervic ran, hampered by the inept human struggling to keep up. If the boy was any slower, they'd both end up on skewers in the castle's courtyard with the rest of the day's atrocities. He'd damn well leave the boy to rot to his fate if it was even possible, but, as the curse evokes, once bonded, bonded must. At least the boy was following him instead of running off blindly. How in the abyss did it even come to this? The day had been a mad blur. All week Mervic had felt something off, but this form was too narrowly focused, so unless it was a direct danger to the boy, there was little he could do about it. But the boy had been in direct danger, and Mervic hated the curse even more because of it. Swarik had come back. Driven away by his brother, King Clistis, nearly fifteen years prior, the mad butcher had been biding his time, sowing rumors of his death in some far-off land but all the while amassing power, influence, and soldiers. Taken completely by surprise, the royal army was annihilated by the brutal, overwhelming force. Swarik stood true to his namesake. He butchered indiscriminately, right up to the royal family, forcing the survivors to watch. First he cleaved the young prince in half, as his parents and two sisters screamed. Then the daughters, taking sick pleasure before ending their misery with a bastard sword pinning them together in the mud. When it was finally over, hours later, pieces of the king and queen, among many others, lay strewn around the courtyard, coated in bloodied mud. Mervic had seen a lot of atrocities in his lifetime. He'd seen sadists and cold-blooded killers, but these were acts so vile even the sun had turned away, and blocked out the light with black clouds and bitter frigid rain. That feeling, though, at least it had become painfully obvious. Somewhere out there amongst the army of the dark was the real power. Swarik on his best day was merely a savage monstrosity, a barbaric thug with a great sword in the place of any real spine. To conjure an army from out of nothing, to move such a vast landscape of the living a mere foot's length, let alone from a far-off land, required incalculable power. Even when Mervic was alive, alive in the true sense of the word, sorcerers with that kind of power simply didn't exist at least sorcerers beyond Mervic himself, and he had paid the price for the arrogance of controlling the flows. So he had done his duty and opened the secret entrance in the boys' chambers and gotten him to listen despite the frustratingly simplistic nature of their communication, and they'd run for the last two hours, in and out of the halls and inside the walls. Mervic knew they would run out of paths soon. Then the boy had tripped, damn him, against a suit of armor pointlessly decorating the hall, why the hell did they always have those in these castles? The clatter had brought on a chase, and the boy was clearly laboring. He wasn't particularly fit even in the best of times, hence being thrown into magic research whether he liked it or not. He could barely finesse a sword, let alone take on trained assassins. Mervic had been trying to lead the boy down to the kitchens and from there a secret passage to a very specific wine cellar, but they'd gotten twisted around running and getting back on track was proving difficult. Left. Mervic could send simple words silently to his ward. It was enough to get the boy to listen. After nearly five years, there was, despite Mervic's wish otherwise, a strong bond between them. 
he knew the boy, Wallace by name, wasn't just some regal's unfortunate spawn, but had never delved deep enough to find out whose misbegotten spawn he actually was. Mervick certainly had ideas, given Wallace's proficiency with magic theory. Mervick led him through a winding series of narrow servants' passages, trusting no one else would know the castle the way he did. The soldiers the boy's clumsiness alerted had been evaded, but the problem wasn't being pursued by any particular set of soldiers. The damned usurpers were everywhere, like some kind of incipient mold taking over the stone walls. Scores of the bastards were starting to patrol every floor now, taking their time to root out any poor souls who hid during the original assault. They were finding them, too, and the echoes of screaming had started up again with disconcerting regularity. It was pure idiocy to hurt the staff. A castle was a living entity, and each servant a cell or organ that kept it going. Killing them would destroy the place as surely as destroying its walls. Mervick had come to realize killing the castle, murdering it bit by bit, was the entire point for Swarick. The man had gone so insane he simply wanted to erase his brother's legacy, to raise history to the ground. It wouldn't be the first time it had happened. The guards thusly alarmed had clearly sent word someone was running amok. From a thin window the two watched the guards amassing below. Far too many by any reasonable standard to root out one boy. But then Reasonable had left the castle hours earlier. Still, it was perplexing to Mervick that even this cloddish ape should send what looked like hundreds of armed men into the castle. Granted, the structure could easily house a city's population, but even now the bones of it, the mortar of the joints, the great oaken beams, even the stones themselves began to weaken and crack. This had been the family's stronghold for generations beyond most recollection. Without them, it could bear no more burden. Its grief was seeping through the walls, dripping from the rafters. This place wasn't some mere lifeless structure. The life forces of thousands had passed through over the centuries, each leaving a tiny flame. Eventually, the fire burned bright enough to give the grounds a life all its own, but it was a life set upon purpose. The protection of the family, its guests, and refugees in desperate need of solace. The castle provided. It could deal with the natural order of life, each individual death a sad but acceptable passing, each birth a grand celebration. Sometimes those deaths had been peaceful and natural, leaving a serene wake of contemplation. Some had been murders, where the blood of the wrong seeped through cracks in the floors and walls, forever leaving a stain. But this, it was too much. Even in war there was some respect for life. Now there was nothing, and the castle wept. Mervick knew they had to leave to escape beyond the confines of the ground before the inevitable happened. He hadn't stopped moving until that moment, staring down at the invading forces storming through the inner gates. If the home is to die, he thought, it should not be in vain. He looked at the boy, who was staring out the window silent save for the huffing of his beleaguered breath. Wallace is stronger than you think, the king had told him on that first day together. Some day you'll see. Mervick stared at him, at the tall, lanky, determined shape of a boy barely sixteen. Then he swatted him with his long, rough tail and moved down the hall, through an open door leading to a dark storage room. There was a sound of shifting stone. Come. The boy followed his familiar into darkness. Few realized there was a whole micro-system within the walls of the huge stronghold. Even fewer had glimpsed how far and wide the network went. Mervick knew them all. 
Had he been alone, he could have slid into and out of the shadows and between the cracks to get anywhere he wanted in mere moments. It had taken the boy a long while to get used to Mervick's physical form, although nothing close to how long it had taken Mervick. To see him in the light, he was a strange cat-like reptile, ending in a long twitchy tail with sharp fish-hook barbs along it, larger than the average cat, smaller than a large dog, and with three long scythe talons on each paw. Mervick's body was constantly in flux with the light and dark around him. In low light he could travel between shadows, slipping in and out of them like doorways, with his body a flat gray cutout. In complete darkness he was impossible to detect. Mervick had learned to use his transient form to traverse the castle landscapes without ever being seen. He could occupy impossible spaces, skim through dark waters like a whisper, and slip between the cracks of any structure none of which did him a damn bit of good here. Now he needed to remain visible so the boy could follow him. Now confusing seconds of his body fusing with shadows could panic Wallace, who was understandably already on edge. There had been no arguments from the boy today, no overthinking everything. He was changed by the sight of brutal cruelty and simply followed. It was disconcerting. Down. The narrow stairwell was steep and nearly pitch black. Light. Wallace hesitated only for a moment and then whispered his intention while clenching a fist tightly. He opened the hand, palm up, and released light from within. A glowing orb hovered up and stopped just above his head. It was enough to keep Mervic mostly corporeal if they stayed close to each other. At the bottom there was a stone-faced door. To most it looked just like the rest of the wall on either side, but the seams were there for those who knew how to look. Beyond the door was a small larder leading to the main kitchen. Any other day, that kitchen would be a bustling beehive of activity. The logistics of feeding the castle were something of a nightmare, but after centuries, it had been honed to a true art. Mervick's many years, both before and after his transformation, had taught him that servants were the lifeblood of a place like this. As hard-tempered as he was, he respected those who did these jobs more than he ever had any royal. The fact that his mother had been nothing more than a chambermaid played into that, as did the tragic nature of his own conception and birth. Stay. Wallace nodded, and Mervick looked up at him for a second before stepping out of the light and slipping like paper through the tiny gap on the side of the hidden door, and out into a dimly lit cool and dry larder rich with the smell of dried meat, onions, and rendered fat. It was one of Mervick's favorite spots in the castle, now marred by the unmistakable stench of blood, dirt, and a level of body odor that surpassed even the pipesman, and underneath, like a haze, was the fervent smell of fear. On the other side of the larder's heavy wooden door he could clearly tell there were three of the interlopers in the kitchen and one servant unfortunate enough to have crossed paths with them. Mervick could tell the servant was Clarion, a young scullery maid who had just recently graduated to kitchen-at-large duties at only seventeen. It was a high honor for her and her family, since it meant she had talents beyond mere manual labor. Clarion was special, though. Both he and Ednali, the mistress of the kitchen, knew she was a food mage in the making. Already, with no knowledge of her own nature, Clarion could conjure sweetness and air into the most basic of pastries. If she lived, she'd be able to manipulate the senses with the merest confections, creating experiences of the sweet and savory beyond what any mundane chef could dream. It also meant some day she could have cooked for kings and swayed the tide of wars. Now she was a sobbing mass on the floor, bloodied and bludgeoned, bleeding deeply down her legs, begging for them to either stop or kill her. Mervick liked Clarion, 
Perhaps due to her innate magics, she was one of the few that could see him clearly, let alone hear him, and she always took a nefarious pleasure in sneaking him bits of meat. Saving her now would lead to complications, though. There was a time when he wouldn't have thought twice about letting her die in misery, but that was long ago. He sighed and slipped through the seams of the doorframe. To have seen Mervic appear would be akin to watching an unconnected, vaguely cat-shaped shadow press forth from the door, expanding out as it did so. Feral shadow fangs lengthened to saber teeth, long claws on his paws extended out like vicious spikes. Scales and fur deepened in the light, swirling in shades of black and gray, and spikes popped up along the lengthening tail as it broke the lower hinge of the door passing through. A guttural, angry growl started low, then reached the crescendo of a wild, violent roar. There was no moment of hesitation in Mervic's action. He didn't give them time to soak in what appeared before them or stumble back in fear. There was none of his old life's penchant for showmanship and flair. He simply pulled through the crack of the door and leapt upon them, a barely corporeal nightmare the size of a horse as he bore the unnaturally heavy full weight of his form on top of the two nearest and bit down on the throat of the first before simply and quickly slicing through the second's neck down to the vertebrae. Snarling now, Mervic turned to the third, who was clumsily trying to move back, trying to yell. Before the noxious bastard could do anything, Mervic moved toward him, almost leisurely, allowing himself one tiny sin of ego. The soldier grabbed a sword on the long wooden prep table he almost tripped against and swung it in warning. Then the man made the final mistake of lunging the blade at Mervic, who easily almost two-dimensionally sidestepped the blade and plunged the long-spiked tip of his tail into the man's chest. He held it there for a second as the sword dropped from shaking hands and watched in intense curiosity as the man's breathing became labored. His body started convulsing as fear took over and blood sputtered from his mouth. Angling his tail down, Mervic let the man slide to the floor in a trembling heap as a final gasp faded away. With almost no transition, Mervic shrunk to his usual size as he turned to check on Clarion. She was sobbing uncontrollably, head against the cold stone floor. He nudged her gently with his head, purring softly, and she gasped and looked up at him. She couldn't speak, her face bloodied and bruised, her lips quivering. Stand. Wide-eyed as the realization of the dead bodies sunk in, she looked back at him and after a moment nodded. Slowly crawling to the end of the table, she used it to steady herself, eyes tightly shut, forcing herself to take deep breaths, and stood. Every move hurt her, but Clarion raised her head to stare at the wall for several seconds. Then, without warning, she stepped right to the body of the first dead man and started kicking him in the stomach and groin, crying and cursing. She ended with a crushing blow from the heel of her foot to his skull and seemed satisfied at the wet, cracking sound that resulted. Then she turned and nodded at Mervic, futilely trying to straighten her hopelessly ruined dress. Mervic purred again, then flicked his head toward the larder. Wallace. Wallace? Clarion whispered. He lives? She rushed to the door and opened it, then passed through to the back and with barely a pause reached behind a shelf and shoved hard with her right hand. The secret stone door creaked open inches and she shoved it further with a cry. Wallace stood waiting, still lit up underneath his orb of magical light. Wallace, Clarion repeated, and rushed at him, wrapping her arms around him. Everyone is dead, she sobbed as she said it. I wanted to die, to make them stop. I couldn't bear to be the last. 
Mervik twitched his tail nervously. Come. He could feel soldiers moving nearby, hear their loud, clumsy footsteps. More would be coming, and his hope of using a small, relatively unknown side door to reach the grounds had faded. Suddenly, the massive wooden trusses at the top of the circular hidden stairwell creaked, then violently cracked. Mervik snarled at the two. Move. They nearly tripped over each other getting through the threshold to the larder, narrowly missing being crushed by a falling beam. Stone blocks followed as the three pushed through to the kitchen. Mervik knew time was fleeting now. He could feel the troops amassing inside the building and the supply corridor, large enough to bring a wagon through to keep up with the constant needs of the kitchen and castle at large, would be a main thoroughfare for the interlopers as well. It was a damned miracle they hadn't been mobbed by the stinking barbarians already. The castle was starting to take matters into its own proverbial hands. It knew it was going to die, but in its death it would fight back. The magic of this place was built up by generations of strong emotions, packed in by experience after experience. A healthy, thriving castle generally felt love and protection for its denizens, but one as devastated as this would boil up into a rage. It would seek to kill. It would also be the only possibility for escape for them if they were very, very lucky. The clattering of troops began echoing through the wide corridor as they carefully peered into the darkness. A feeling of panic hung over them as they crossed the hall to another opening that led to the vast storehouses for the kitchens. Mervik hoped to get to a secret exit to the outer curtain wall through the buttery. That door had long been a favorite for the castle's many alehounds over the centuries, so he felt sure it was in excellent repair. It would have been a fine plan, too, had the huge ale repository been empty. Somewhere along the far end of the thankfully dark room were moving lanterns and low voices punctuated by occasional drunken laughter. The walls and ceiling around them rumbled again and the floor vibrated. The voices stopped for a moment as Mervik led the two humans quietly along rows of barrels. Quiet. He knew he was hard to follow in the spare light, but Clarion seemed to know exactly where to go. Staying low as she moved, she grabbed Wallace's hand and pulled him along, pointing in the direction of where the door would be. Turning a corner at the end of the aisle, Mervik slowed down, flicking his tail in agitation. Several soldiers were coming down the path, still far enough away to not have spotted Clarion and Wallace as they appeared behind him. Hide. Instantly, seeing a growing firelight ahead, Clarion pulled Wallace out of sight down the next aisle of barrels. She whispered to him, pointing to the gaps between some of the barrels on the bottom of the massive shelves, which were wide enough for a person to carefully slip through. The room shook again, causing the floor to make alarming cracking sounds and some of the oaken shelves to splinter suddenly. A moment later, there was a deafening, crashing sound from the far end, followed by confused yelling, then a scream. A cacophony of rupturing barrels, exploding stone and breaking wood began, a chain reaction as the roof collapsed in a line. Run! Mervik leapt past the two down the aisle, turning to see them running after. They ignored the surprised shouts of troops who saw them as they slammed against the inner wall and clumsily out into the main corridor again. Dust clouded the air accompanied by a loud clash as ale flooded out of the room, sloshing around their boots. Further down the corridor was a mass of troops. The first of them instantly spotted Clarion and Wallace and began shouting. The corridor was the inner wall thoroughfare. The secret entrance to the kitchen was gone, and if the buttery had collapsed, the butlery just down from it certainly had as well. Heading forward was certain death, but following the corridor as it thinned down to the great hall would almost certainly be suicide. 
Then the corridor, starting back in the darkness, began to collapse. The ceiling was exploding downward, crushing anything in its path. Come on, Clarion yelled, grabbing Wallace and running back to the kitchen. Mervic watched the destruction, transfixed for a second, as the hallway swallowed up the men, then leapt the distance to the kitchen. Clarion had kicked the dying embers out of the way and was standing in the hearth, her arm grabbing at something just up the chimney. With a grunt of satisfaction, something in the back wall of the hearth clicked as she pulled her arm down. Pull the lever, she yelled at Wallace, who was standing just to the side of the massive stone fireplace, with his hand shakily holding a wall-mounted candle holder. The entire structure was shaking around them as the back of the fireplace split open like stone double doors revealing a dark room. There was no hesitation to follow her as she passed through. You weren't around here much for the fuss over the hearthsmith the mistress had brought in, she said when they were inside. She slipped sideways and grabbed a barely visible lever. Grunting with effort, she pulled the lever down hard and the stone slowly returned, leaving them in complete darkness. A soft orb of light appeared above Wallace's head and they looked around. The room had a layer of soot coating it from floor to ceiling. He'd meant it to be an easy way to dispose of the fire ash and soot, she said, moving forward. At least, that's how he told it. Instead, we got one less pantry and a room that scared the maids. You see, Clarion continued, running her fingers along the back wall while staring intently at the stone. They thought it was a locking room. No exit but the fire. Wallace, can you bring your light closer to me, Muffin? Wallace, confused and conflicted by nearly everything she just said, walked forward silently. Mervic could see his face twitch slightly as he increased the level of light. Whether it was from the effort of magic under stress or being called Muffin was up to speculation. Clarion stopped at a block noticeably smaller than those around it. Mistress made those of us who knew keep it silent, she said, pushing the block in. There's a lot of superstition in this here part of the castle. Seems there was a cave-in a hundred years before, and for whatever reason, they never repaired it. They just built around, but the passages are still there. We found that out when Arvel, the hearthsmith, uncovered the door. She turned and smiled, as the wall behind her slid open silently. Seems the upper staff was quite unfavorable to letting any part of these catacombs be accessible, so we've just pretended like they aren't. Except, of course, every bump in the night, or day and the hearthsmith's name gets cursed for meddling with what the castle don't want meddled with. She stuck her head into the darkness beyond, then looked back. It's utter nonsense, of course, and a terrible waste of space to boot. She stepped in. Wallace, light, she called back. Mervic remembered these passages from long ago. Much more than a hundred years had gone by since this wing had fallen. In a way, he was fascinated the structure had rebuilt them. The only problem was the only likely exit to the outside would be to the inner ward, the courtyard that the mad butcher had turned into a bloodbath. The passage, winding about the circular outer wall of the main keep, eventually ended at what appeared to be a dead end of old damp stone. Nobody spoke. Nobody moved. There was a dulled banging and shouting coming from the other side of the wall. Then screams of horror and agony. More shouting. No. More than that. Cheering. After each terrible scream, sometimes from one voice, sometimes more, they were cheering. Mervic could feel Wallace's and Clarion's horror. Their silent tears streaming down matched the smell of the wetness of the stone. Even the castle was weeping. Wait. Mervic slipped through the joints and could feel a slew of emotions from the thick wall. Anger. Hatred. Sorrow. Fear. 
it was almost out of time. Outside, the day was dank and bleak. A constant downpour of hard, cold rain made the inner square, once a beautiful, ornate sanctuary. A mass of boot-imprinted mud, still against the wall, he watched. There were hundreds lingering in a circle around their chosen entertainment. Between the gaps of legs, Mervic could see more bodies piling up. They were making sport of the poor souls they'd found hiding on the grounds. It boiled up his primitive side. His claws unconsciously scratched the wall, his back shifted, and sharp bumps rose along his spine. Mervic took a deep breath. They couldn't see him as anything more than a misplaced shadow, if any bothered to even look. They didn't. These were arrogant and clumsy men. There was constant traffic into the main door of the keep, but that was well over to his left. Scampering up the side of the wall, he could see the full, brutal view. Swarick stood, smiling widely, absently biting into a full leg of lamb. Two other soldiers with gear clearly better than the regular troops were torturing an old man, slowly shoving thin, sharp rods into him to watch him cry out, goaded on by the bloodthirsty crowd. There had been nothing so barbaric within these walls in over a hundred years. The last public execution was long ago, and torture had been outlawed for even longer. Mervic watched the ground around the carnage trembling. A low, steady bass, barely audible against the rain, began to rise. The vibration of the ground was enough to cause ripples in the puddles and burps of air in the mud. Cracks began to appear just outside the circle of troops, curving around them. Mervic slipped back through the stone and down, listening to the castle whisper its agony and anger, feeling its need to kill them all, but wanting to save the one, the instigator, for last. The castle was nothing if not dramatic. Mervic sent the word before he even slipped back into the corridor. Meld. Clarion opened her mouth to speak, but Wallace nearly stumbled back. I... we... we can't do that. It's suicide, he protested. Must meld. I've barely read the spell. It's dangerous. It could kill us both. You know I'm not that talented. Mervic sighed, flicking his tail. This was his fault, really. He knew Wallace essentially memorized the small tome he kept with him at times and was more than capable of casting anything in it. Yet Mervic was far from an ideal teacher. Even in the best of times he was unsupportive and harsh, and this was the end result. The last potential wizard in a kingdom of magic didn't know his own strength. Clarion was staring at Wallace now, asking him what was going on. He shook his head and reached into his robes to pull out his book. Mervic, Wallace said, isn't just some really bizarre animal. He's my teacher and bond slave. Wallace looked down at Mervic, seeing his tail twitched in agitation. He hates that word, slave, but it's our lot. I don't know where he came from, but this amulet I wear, he tugged out a golden chain with a dark blue gem framed in what looked like platinum. This bonds our magical energies together. It keeps me from doing much harm to myself or others while I learn, but it keeps him from having enough energy to be released, and neither of us can do anything about it. Hurry. Mervic kept looking at the wall, listening to the ever-increasing sounds of cracking and shifting stone, and feeling the tremors get stronger. Believe. It was the mantra of training. Without the belief, magic faded as soon as it was conjured. There's a spell in here, Wallace said quickly, rifling through the pages. It lets us bond, hopefully temporarily, allowing full use of our magics, 
but it combines us into some thing, some beast. It's volatile, deadly, and alarmingly forbidden. He sighed and shook his head, then looked down at Mervic. But we're going to die anyway, aren't we? Looking back at Clarion, he nodded, grabbed the amulet, and closed his eyes. Fine. You'll need to step back. Quite far back. The explosion of stones outward rained shards of rock down on the troops as they turned in unison to see something emerge. It was large, easily twice the height of any man. It was a maze of pale whites, blacks, and grays ever shifting, with brilliantly bright blue lines pulsing through its body like veins. There was a bare silhouette of a man beneath rough scaly skin and erratic tufts of wire-stiff fur. Its head looked like the nightmare offspring between something canine and reptilian. Its massive forearms ended in vaguely human-shaped hands with claws long enough to rend a man in two with a bare swipe. Thick hook-shaped claws adorned the tips of its back paws. The long spiked tail twitched and writhed behind it, ending in jagged spears. The roar the beast unleashed shook the keep and made the ground tremble. As if in response, the mud covering the inner courtyard began to split apart, flowing downward into the dark abyss, taking soldiers with it as the gap increased. Men tried to escape, but another circular split plunged open outside their circle and suddenly they were gone. All that was left was a platform of mud in the very center, where Swarik stood along with his two lackeys. The old man was dead beside them, a look of utter torment locked on his face. Swarik looked confused, even anxious for a brief moment, before stealing his gaze at the beast. The other two men looked terrified. With one leap, the beast landed before them. Swarik stepped back, precariously, while shoving one of the men forward. Stumbling, crying, and futilely trying to raise his sword, he died with a single talon shoved all the way through his skull. The beast cast the body off his claw with a single shake, stepped forward, and ripped the second one's abdomen open while shoving him down into the black. Swarik struck with his great battle axe, carving a notch into the beast's forelimb. Crying out in anger, the beast stomped a back leg down hard in front of the man, then reared its head up and then suddenly down. There was a sickening wet crack as their two skulls met, and the would-be tyrant stumbled back, but didn't fall. Raising his axe again, Swarik screamed as he swung in a mighty arc, but it didn't matter. The beast reached out and flicked the weapon away. Another step and impossibly fast arms reached out and grabbed the man's arms, pulling them taut and lifting him high off the ground. He was screaming now, spitting anger out, trying to kick, gnash, and bite. It didn't matter. A second later, his thrashing body fell to ground, blood spurting violently from empty shoulder sockets. The beast looked down at him for a second, thinking about all the things it wanted to do to the man, all the ways to make him suffer for this day. Instead, it opted to simply crush him underfoot, like an annoying inconsequential insect, and then just shove the body over the edge. They both knew Swarik wasn't the power behind this and that they were unprepared to fight whatever whoever it was. All around them, the castle shook. It was making shrieking sounds now, the culmination of thousands of stones, posts, and wooden beams collapsing. Turning around to see the castle one last time before it was gone, they felt an immense, nearly unbearable sadness at its death. Clarion, just outside the circular pit, stared too as the only home she'd ever known sank into the earth. When the ground around them started shaking violently, the beast jumped off the muddy island and moved toward her. 
she looked up at them, crying, hugging herself tightly. Within the beast they could feel the magical flows shifting. There was something close, polluting the ley lines the castle was built upon, something with unfamiliar magic that smelled of rot and decay. Accompanied by a piercing shriek, a hulking winged creature rose above the smoke and ruin from the grounds beyond the castle's wrecked walls. It was massive, with scaly translucent skin of deep blacks and undulating blotches of sick browns, greens, and clotted blood reds. The creature had huge, leathery wings, massive spikes adorning its entire body, and a tail that ended in a distorted deadly club large enough to knock down the one remaining guard tower. Deep within the massive neck and body, they could barely make out a long, distorted form of a man. Flee. It was a voice in their head old as the stones, the last words of a dying sanctum, as the ground before them erupted in a straight line and the acrid smell of natural gases flooded their nostrils. The beast roared as it twisted toward Clarion and grabbed her. It ran along the open rift toward the remnants of the outer wall as the other creature gave chase. The beast screamed painfully as wide, long wings slithered out of its shoulder blades accompanied by the sound of cracking bones. With a furious flapping of wings, the beast barely cleared the remaining wall as the air erupted into flames. One final glance back saw that the other creature had been caught in the center of the rift's blast. It was crying out in torment, its body on fire, barely keeping itself from crashing to the ground. But it wouldn't be enough to kill it. It was only enough to give them a head start. The beast beat its wings hard to gain air. Holding Clarion against its chest, it reached the clouds and headed out to sea. Mervic had known allies out there once. Most were gone, but maybe some were still breathing. Minds fused, Mervic and Wallace used their combined will to disappear. It was a temporary measure at best, but it would last long enough for them to get far enough away to rest, regroup, and return to their own bodies and minds. Mervic's first priority was still, and would remain, the safety of his charge. It was, after all, his familial duty. Jason D. April has been writing professionally for over twenty years, mostly in non-fiction. You can find his bylines appearing on such sites as Playboy, Paste Magazine, Motherboard, Upload VR, and others. Occasionally, he even lets bits of fiction escape out into the wild. Jason does not tweet. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or visit us at our webpage, brickmoonfiction.com.